Well, it's good to be with you today, and we're talking about 1 Corinthians. It's in the letter section of the Bible. The Bible is like a library more than it is a book, and there are 21 letters in the letter section of the Bible. And uh, the second one is called 1 Corinthians, and it's written by the Apostle Paul to Greek believers about 2,000 years ago in the city of Corinth. And so we looked, we've been looking the last couple weeks at the beginning of this book and letter, and um, he's talking about all the different problems in the church in the next 16 chapters. And, and it really is a messed up, messy church, blessed by God. They had people getting drunk during communion. They had uh, some who didn't believe in the resurrection even, and, and others in sexually immoral sin and, and them celebrating it. I mean, they had, they had lots and lots of problems. In fact, um, this may not be a perfect church, but... Uh, on the outside, man, we're way better off than Corinth was. In fact, this is why, you know, you might hear of churches named Berean Church, you know, named after a church in the Bible, or, or the, the, you know, maybe the Romans Church. Actually, I don't hear of Romans Church, but you almost never hear of a Corinthian church because it was just so messed up. And interestingly, of all the problems that Paul could address first and spend the most time on, he, he tackles unity. And he says, man, there is divisiveness in the church, and this is a big deal, and we need to, we need to figure this out, and this is wrong. And, and unity is based on something greater than ourselves. So I cannot unify the church, the elders or the pastors of the church, we cannot unify this church. Why? Because we are not greater than all of you, right? What unifies people is something greater than themselves. I think Ukraine is going through this right now. A national Ukrainian identity is something greater than the individual people in the country. And this is uniting them and drawing them together. And so what is that greater thing or greater person that unites us as believers? And Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 1.18. He says, for the message of the cross, that's what unites us, is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And so the cross not only unites us, but it also divides us from everyone else. Because people think the message of the cross, that, that we worship and follow a Savior who died in a brutal, humiliating way, that is just foolishness to those who are perishing. In fact, just to give you an idea of how foolish that would be, imagine if you walked in this morning and you sat down next to someone and you noticed that they were wearing these earrings, uh, little miniature replicas of uh, fat man and little boy, which were the nuclear bombs dropped on Nagasaki and Hiroshima. If someone was wearing those earrings, sitting next to you, I wouldn't be surprised if you got up and sat somewhere else, right? Because that is sick. Like, why would you do that? right? Or if you go to work tomorrow and your boss has put this up over the parking lot, this sign, Arbeit Mach Frey, I don't know how to pronounce it. My German, I don't know any German. But in German, that means work brings freedom, which were the signs they had over the worst Nazi death camps during World War II, Auschwitz, Dachau, and others. Man, if that was that, I would get a new job. <laughs> if your boss is putting that up over your parking spots, you know, or, or maybe a friend gets a tattoo of lethal injection or, or is wearing a necklace of an electric chair. I mean, I would reconsider your friends if you're going to do that, 
right? Because that's just twisted. That's wrong. That doesn't make any sense. That's, that's foolishness or that's terrible. And this is exactly how everyone in the first century would respond if you were wearing a cross. They would say, what is that? I mean, Paul's saying the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. He was kind of putting it in a good light. It was beyond foolishness. This was a method not only of death and torture, but of humiliation. It was only for the worst of the worst in society. If, if you were a citizen of Rome, as Paul was, who was writing this, it was illegal for him to be crucified because it was only for foreigners and slaves to be crucified. In fact, Paul is killed for his faith, but he's killed in a way that was honorable. He was beheaded. They considered that honorable and relatively painless. It wasn't the torture that the cross was. And, and so how can this symbol of humiliation and, and death become a symbol of hope for everyone? And, and so what Paul is reminding us is that our salvation comes from the cross. And, and sometimes I think many of us here, we have a, this message of the cross is basically the idea that we need to ask Jesus on the cross to forgive our sins. Every religion on earth um, is, is a do religion. In fact, sometimes people come to me and say, I have a friend who's Hindu or Buddhist or Muslim or Baha'i or whatever, a different religion. Ha, what do they believe? How do I talk to them and tell them what the, how the Bible is different? And, and I say, let's just make it simple. Every single belief system, every religion on earth is about doing good works. And in Buddhism and Hinduism, it's called karma, right? And, you, and karma will get even with you. So you need to do good works so that, you know, you can pay for your bad works. And, and, and in Islam, it's about obeying Allah. And it's all works, works, works. What you do, Christianity is totally different. It's the only religion that's not about what you do. It's about what Jesus has done. And, and, and we need to understand that and embrace that. And it's not just where our Christianity starts. So our Christianity starts by saying, I'm not good enough. I'm going to accept what Jesus' death on the cross for me. That's, that's where my forgiveness comes from, from him taking my place and I'm gonna make him my Lord and surrender my life to him. That's not just where Christianity begins, it's where Christianity ends. If you're an incredibly mature Christian, that's where you need to stay and live, in the foot of the cross, recognizing God's grace, Jesus paying for our, that punishment for us, him being our Lord and Savior. That's the beginning, the middle, and the end of Christianity. Our salvation comes from the cross, and this is foolishness to those who are perishing, because they're like, what? That doesn't look like a victory, that looks like a defeat. Indeed, the cross was. The cross was a political defeat, a physical defeat, a social defeat. It was humiliating. They crucified people naked to maximize how humiliating it would be. Politically, Republicans and Democrats, they're looking for the same thing. A leader to put the other side in its place. Win the White House, stack the court, create a filibuster-proof majority in the House and Senate. That's the solution. Power. What we really need is someone who will stand up to Russia, 
China and Iran. What we really need is someone to stand up to big oil, big pharma, and big tech. What we really need is a God who wields political, cultural, and military power. But what we're stuck with is this useless cross. It's an embarrassment. It looks like defeat. He died. How is a symbol of death and humiliation? How can it be so important? This, this comes out of my frustration this week because this week I've been so frustrated with what's going on in the world. I'm like, what, what we need is someone to stand up to the bullies of the world, someone to stand up to Putin. Ukraine is standing alone. What we need, did, did you know in 2020, the last year, the last full year that we were in Afghanistan, do you know how many American soldiers died that year? Ten. And now they're predicting hundreds of thousands will die in Afghanistan under the most brutal government on earth due to starvation and disease and brutality. And, and that's, we need someone. All it takes for, for evil to flourish is for good people to do nothing. And, and what we really need in this world right now is we need, we, need, we need strength. We need power. We need someone willing to stand up for what's right. And the truth is, that is not the message of God's word. That is not the message of the cross. That is not how we win. We don't win. We don't fight with the same weapons that others fight with. And this is viewed as weakness, but it is the power of God. It is viewed as foolishness, but it is the wisdom of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? And, and just think about who Paul is writing to right now. He's, he's writing to a city in Corinth, Greece, hundreds of thousands of people. It's 50 miles from Athens, the philosophical center of the ancient world. They loved wisdom. But can you name one Greek philosopher or wise person from this time period? Can anyone here name one? Socrates and, and Aristotle, they were centuries before. They weren't from this time period. Where is the wise person? Where is the philosopher of this age? Dead, gone, buried, and forgotten. The people that were held up then and thought, they're so powerful, they're so wise, they're so smart, nobody cares about them. And frankly, if we were to get their philosophy and talk about it in the modern age, people would think, that's stupid. Where is the teacher of the law? Now he's talking to Jews here as well. This is not talking about lawyers and the way we think of lawyers and law. The, the law was shorthand for talking about the entire Old Testament. Remember, the Bible is a library. The first five books are the legal section. So they're referred to as the law. And so there were Bible experts who didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They didn't believe in the cross of Christ as the way of salvation. Where are those teachers of the law? Can you name one Jewish rabbi of this time period? Gamaliel, that's the only one I can think of, and he might have been dead by this point. And I've never read anything he's written. I mean, where are they? They're dead, they're gone, they're buried and forgotten. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? I think 2,000 years from now, you know what people are gonna think about? 
the wise of this world today, the philosophers, the great teachers, those doing TED Talks who don't know Jesus Christ, do you know what people are going to think about them 2,000 years from now? Nothing. Because they'll be dead, gone, buried, and forgotten. And that the empire that crucified Jesus Christ disintegrated 1,500 years ago, and yet the cross of Christ and the name of Christ continues to grow in strength. It is a backwards, upside-down way of thinking that, that through the humiliation of God, through the physical defeat of Jesus Christ, the greatest victory in human history was achieved. And that is our path. It is not necessarily a path. And I'm not saying Christians shouldn't be involved in politics. We should. I'm not saying Christians shouldn't vote. We should. I'm not saying Christians shouldn't go into the military. We should and become generals. That, should be, that would be great. But that is not the path that God has chosen to change this world. The greatest power is in the cross of Christ and his resurrection. For since the wisdom of God, in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Usually, if you want to pick a good team, if you want to get a great you know, company or family even together, what you do is you choose the smartest, the wisest, the best. And in God's wisdom, he said, no, I'm not going to go that route. I'm going to choose foolishness. I'm going to um, choose those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. So, so Jews, they were always looking for power, a miracle, showing power. In fact, even when Jesus, Jesus heals a man at one point and the Jews, Jewish religious leaders say, show us a sign to believe who you are. I'm like, he just healed the man miraculously. What kind of a sign? And they were thinking, well, no, we want a sign in the sky. We want a display of power in the moon or the stars. We want, and that's what we want. And the cross was not a display of power. They demand signs. Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. And so we need to understand that not only are we saved through the cross, but when we win, it's because of the cross. It's not because we have people in the right places in power. It's not because uh, the, the name of America is lifted up. We win because of the cross. It goes on to say, for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. If you're here today and you are a foolish person, and I can see we have several, okay? Um, some of that meaning children, right? Are children wise? I mean, do you want a child in charge of a nuclear attack submarine? No, why? Because we know children aren't wise, children aren't strong. Do you have, do you have 10-year-olds competing with grown adults in sports? No, why? Because by their very nature, they're, they're weak, and they're not wise, and they're not that smart. That's why we protect them, because they have incredible potential, but they're not that, right? And, and, but no matter how weak or foolish you are, if you are with God, you're in the majority. You're in the strong point. You're, you're on top. 
God plus you is, is a majority. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many of noble birth. Those of us here, not, not only were we not influential when we were saved, we're not even influential now, right? But what were you when you were saved? A couple weeks ago, we had a baptism, and one of the things I love about baptisms is we force people to tell their story about how God worked in their lives. Say, if you're going to do this, you need to share it, and you need to write it down, or if you can't write it down, just tell me, and I'll write it down, and, and make, it, make sure you're, you're okay with it, and, and it's so powerful, and occasionally you have a story. Say, I had it all together, and my life was great, and, I was, and then I realized that, you know what, I'm just not great enough, and I gave Jesus my life and asked him to forgive me, but, but most of the time, that's not the story. The story is my life was a train wreck. I didn't know what I was doing. My relationships were a mess. I was maybe, maybe I was even addicted to alcohol or sex or drugs or, you know, and, and then I realized that, that Jesus forgave me and that he wanted to give me a new life and I had nothing to give him and I came to him empty-handed. And, and so Paul is saying, remember, remember how you started because it wasn't about how awesome you were. It was about how awesome God was. Not, not many wise. I was saved as a child. And I was not wise, and I was not strong, and I was not influential. I definitely wasn't of noble birth. Though my wife has relations to Thomas Kramer. Who's, who's the... Anyway, a dead guy. <laughs> who, who ruled England at one point. But anyway, but... God, way back, yeah. God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. He's talking about us. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. When we get to heaven, nobody's going to be up there and say, man, God, you really picked well when you picked me. <laughs> I mean... Of course you would pick me. It was so obvious how great I would be as a follower of Jesus. No, nobody's going to say that. We're going to get to heaven. We're going to be like, all this for me? I don't deserve it. And maybe we'll look at someone else and say, well, maybe you look like you deserve it. And that's like, because you don't know who I am. But, but I don't deserve it. And, and who will boast about us? We'll boast about Jesus. And we'll boast about God and we'll boast about the Holy Spirit and, and how they took a, a messed up church like Corinth and how they took a messed up life like mine and how they took a messed up church like Bridgewater and how God, through his grace, his undeserved generosity, through the forgiveness of Christ on his cross, led us into something so much better and greater. It is because of him, of God the Father, that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us the wisdom from God that is righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. That's what it's about. That's what we need to focus on. Let's not get so complicated and so grown up in our Christian life that we get away from the cross. It is the source of our power, nothing else. I don't, I don't usually quote The Atlantic. It's a magazine. It is not a Christian magazine. Um, but I wanted to have a, an extended quote up here from, from that magazine. 
Um, They were quoting Pastor Dudley Scott. I don't know anything about him, but here's what he said. Many people are much more committed to their politics than to what the Bible actually says. We have failed not only to teach people the whole of Scripture, but we have also failed to help them think biblically. There are so many false teachers of God's Word out there right now. Let me tell you, men, women, and there are, there's, there's two different, there's probably a lot, but comes to my mind, two different ways that as your pastor and spiritual leader that I can help protect you from those false teachers. The one way is the fast way, but the ineffective way, and that's the list way. I can give you a list, right, of all the false teachers that are out there. Don't listen to her. Don't listen to him. It, they're, they're wrong. That, that's the, the fast way. But the truth is there are so many false teachers that I can't make a list long enough. And then to explain that, well, actually, when they teach this, it's okay. But when they teach that, they're wrong. I mean, that is so confusing. Nobody's going to figure that out. And so what's the better way? Not to come out with a list, but to help you think biblically so that you know when someone says, God just wants you to be happy. You know, and, and so, you know, if, that, if you feel like that's the right thing to do, you need to do it because God works in your feelings and you need to follow them and, and be happy and all that. And, and, and you'd be like, wait a minute, I know the Bible. God wants me to be happy. Is, was Jesus happy on the cross? Was Peter happy when he was crucified? Was Paul happy when he was whipped and beaten? Wait a minute, maybe there's actually times where I need to sacrifice for what's right and maybe I need to look like the bad guy and not fit in with anyone. So we, have to, we, have, we need to think biblically. And again, if 35 minutes once a week listening to me talk about the Bible is not gonna help you think biblically. All right, it'll give you a little bit but you need to be in God's word on your own during the week. If you don't, have a, don't know where to read or how to read, there are Bible reading programs on the, on the Welcome Center. You can pick one up. But we need to read God's word so we learn to think biblically. We have failed to teach them that sometimes scripture is most useful when it doesn't say what we want it to say because then it's correcting us. I won't ask for a raise of hands, but how many of you have ever read the Bible and it doesn't say what you want it to say? and it corrects you. If you've never had that happen, you don't read the Bible very much or you always twist it to make it say what you want. And God's word is at its best. And there, we're gonna start another series in a couple weeks. We're gonna do a couple more weeks in, in 1 Corinthians and then we're gonna start a series called uh, Outdated, Unfashionable Beliefs That Are Still True. I'm looking for a pair of bell bottoms that I wanna wear. I had one, I had one person say, but it was size 29 waist, so that is not me. I'm looking for size 33, really, ideally. 32 and a half, 32 and three quarters, okay? Um, But I I, I wanna, because we're gonna talk about outdated beliefs, that people are like, oh, that's out of style. Oh, I can't believe you still believe that. But no, that's what God's word teaches. And, And this This is what unifies us and this is what we need to believe and this is what we need to follow, especially when I don't like it and it is corrective of me. And 
goes on to say there's a lot of disagreement in the New Testament. No kidding. 16 chapters here in 1 Corinthians where Paul's telling them they're wrong. Um, it gives us a template for how to listen to each other and how to understand rather than to argue. And I don't know where he's coming from, and that is true. We need to seek first to understand, then to be understood. But there does come a time, like the entire book or letter of 1 Corinthians, where you say, I understand you, you're wrong. Okay? Um, But to do it in a kind, loving way, not trying to own them, Many Christians, though, are disinclined to heed calls of civility. They feel like everything they value is under assault and they need to fight to protect it. Why is it hard for us to be civil and kind and loving in our conversation? Because the other side isn't. And they're calling you a jerk and, and they're, they're saying, man, you should go to jail for what you believe and, and, and man, I, I hope someone beats you up and, and you're, you're an awful person and all this and it's very hard to be civil when the other side isn't. But that's what we're called to do. I understand that. I feel under assault sometimes too, this pastor says. However, I know that the early Christians transformed the Roman Empire not by demanding, but by loving. Not by angrily shouting about their rights in the public square, but by serving even the people who persecuted them, which is why Christians grew so quickly and took over the empire. I also know that once Christians gained political power under Constantine, that beautiful, loving, sacrificing, giving, transforming church became the angry, persecuting, killing church. We have forgotten the cross. visited our ministry partners in India about four or five years ago now. And they're persecuted. The Hindu government there, they persecute Muslims and Christians. But Shabu was telling me, he said, he says, but they persecute Christians worse. I said, why? Because they're scared of Muslims. But they know Christians love their enemies. How weak is that? And emboldens them to persecute us more. And in the short term, the weapons that God wants us to wield look foolish to those who are perishing. But the cross and to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Our message needs to be about the cross. We win because of the cross. Our salvation comes through the cross. We need to be talking about the cross. And and that is the most important. This is what will change lives. And, And yes, politicians have their... But if Jesus was here on earth today, he wouldn't be in the halls of Congress right now. He he would be with truck drivers. He would be with office workers. He he would be with heroin addicts and prostitutes. He would be out in the countryside with his mediocre following of guys, teaching them about God. Because when he came to earth, they tried, after he fed the 5,000, it says they tried to make him king by force, and he literally walked away from it. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. No kidding. Look at the world. Is that God's kingdom? No. And his desire is for us 
not, not to, to wield political power or military might or, or political and cultural influence. His desire for us is the foolishness of the cross, one person at a time, to tell them how they could be forgiven and how they can live differently and follow Jesus Christ and how living for Jesus is so much better than living for yourself. Trusting him is so much better than trusting yourself. And our message needs to be about the cross. He says, and so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you. I didn't come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaim to you the testimony about God. If Paul was preaching today, TED Talks would not have him. So he wouldn't be eloquent enough. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and with great fear and trembling. And that encourages me. Paul was scared to talk about Jesus. Have you ever been scared to talk about Jesus? I think most of us here, we think, ah, oh, it's going to be socially awkward. They're going to look down on me. They, they you know, ah, I, I don't know how to bring it up. I, it's going to, we need, this is the power of God to change this community, to change Afghanistan, to change Ukraine, to change the United States of America. It is the cross, and we need to talk about it, even if it is scary. Now, Paul might have been scared because when he talked about the cross, sometimes it meant he got beaten and whipped and imprisoned. Here we go again. So sometimes I think it's harder. So if Paul had never been persecuted, he'd never been beaten, never knew what it was like to be flogged and whipped to within an inch of his life, he probably, courage would have come easier because it would have been ignorant courage. But by this point in his life, he knew what it was like. And he said, here we go again. And in weakness and trembling and fear, he said, but I have to, I have to tell them because I love these people and God loves them. And my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Here's the two takeaways I just want to challenge you with this morning. Number one, have you done the foolish thing and made Jesus Christ your forgiver and leader? I'm going to close this in a prayer and encourage you to do that for the first time if you've never done that. But if you have done that, then when was the last time you talked to someone about how you've been forgiven, about Jesus Christ? Uh, there's a bunch of these still on the little round tables before you leave. Pray, invest, invite. Room for three names. I've written down three names on one of these. It's on my desk. I prayed for them yesterday. I prayed for them this morning. I'm going to pray for them tomorrow. That they would come to ask Jesus to forgive them and lead them. Two of them have never been to this church. No matter how often I invite them, they don't come. I encourage them to watch online. I seriously doubt they've done that. We were actually talking as a staff. We talk about this. Like, who are you inviting? Who are you praying for? And recently... Pastor Josh is like batting zero for 10, you know, like maybe 20. He said over Christmas, he said, everyone I invited to the Christmas services did not come. Like he's talking about a small group, certain people, they're not coming. They're talking about people he invited. And they're not, actually, Pastor Josh right now, this is really cool. He's in Capitol Church in Columbus, Ohio, a brand new church. He's preaching at it, encouraging um, the, the pastor there and others to just continue to reach that, that um, the Ohio State University it's a ministry in that university and then in that city as well. It, it is awesome what God is doing 
all over the world, all over the United States. And I want to tell you that, that your pastors, in sometimes quiet ways like Josh is right now, are, we're, like, we're like fanning those flames. I am so psyched. I talked to Pastor Pablo um, Gutierrez down at uh, Iglesia Electric City. They had over 60 people in church last Sunday. Brand new church, not even a year old. And, and just what God is doing in that congregation. And we were able to send a couple families down there with him, which is great because we don't have a Spanish translator here now. So, and, and you know, God is doing great things outside of Bridgewater, all over the world. And when was the last time you were a part of that and said, man, I want to get in the game and I want to be a part of the greatest movement. Almost all of the world's problems are because people aren't following Jesus. And that's the solution, not political power, not military power, not economic power and banking systems. The power to change this world is through the cross of Jesus Christ. I, um, Pastor Peter Radoslava and his congregation um, were in Ukraine. Their church was bulldozed, literally a bulldozer knocked over their physical church building in, I think, the 1970s. I've seen pictures. Then they went underground. And one after another after another, their pastors were arrested by the Russians and sent off to prisons, most in Siberia. And uh, Peter's older brother was sent to Siberia, and the church gathered together and said, Peter, we believe you should be the next pastor to lead us. Are you willing? He said yes. Um, Short time after that, he became a focus of the Soviet secret police so that he spent years not able to be home and with his children. One time he did visit his his home and uh, the the Russian secret police had bugged his home. They heard the children yelling, Papa, Papa. Papa. And they came storming in. They quickly were able to, they had dug a hole under the dining room table with a little trap door. And it was barely big enough. In fact, when I was there visiting and talking to him, I said, could you fit in it now? He said, no, I've gained, he gained too much weight. He couldn't fit in it. But they shoved him in there, put the trap door down, rolled the rug over it, the dining room table. The secret police came in. They couldn't find him. And then about a day later, he was able to sneak out of the house and get away. But one of the pastors, so, so when I was a pastor in Johnson City, we, we helped support this church that they had started. This one church that had been bulldozed, that had met underground, when Ukraine declared its independence in 1991, they decided to start 10 new churches in the city of Odessa. And they would all split up and start their own congregations. And so we supported one of those, raised over $70,000 to help them build a building. And, and I went over with um, some others to visit them. And one of the other pastors, his story was amazing. He was in prison in Odessa when Ukraine declared its independence. And all the political prisoners were set free, which included the Christians that were jailed. They were viewed as political prisoners. And so all of a sudden, he went from a 10 or 20-year sentence to being free. And he went home and his family, you know, and he saw his kids again and it was a time of rejoicing and a week later, he was part of uh, the spiritual leadership 
of that church that got together and they're talking about what do we do? And he said, I know what God wants me to do. What? He wants me to go back to that prison. And they said, you can't do that. The country's in turmoil. We don't even know who's in charge. We don't know if the Russians are coming in or, or who's in charge in, in this country. And there's just chaos. That the guards would know you. They would recognize you. They might throw you back in prison. Nobody cares about us. There's no one we could go to to petition. Like, you need to stay far away from that prison. And he said, if Jesus would go to the cross, I should go to the prison. Because those are people that need to know Jesus. And he went back to the prison and he started witnessing to the guards. And the guards gave him permission to start witnessing to the inmates. And by the time I visited in 1999, he had the largest of those 10 churches. And 25 to 50% of his church were HIV AIDS positive. And back in the 90s, that meant a death sentence in about two to three years at most. Why? Because they were all former drug addicts. And he did a lot of funerals, but he saw hundreds of people give their lives to Christ. People in the mafia, and people with, with no hope, and addicts, and, and they gathered together. And that is the strength of God working through the, the weak and the foolish of this world. And that is where God's power lies. And that is what we need to be doing. It's not trying to... And, and it, we need more Christian politicians. If, if God is calling you to do that, please do that. Run for office. I'll support you unless you're like crazy or something. But, you know, <laughs> I would support Ben for office. You know, like, I, but, but change in this world, <laughs> you have my vote. Change in this world is going to come not that way, but through the message of the cross. Heavenly Father, I just ask that you'd help us to, to begin and to end at the cross in our spiritual lives and journey. And Lord, I just thank you that you so love the world that you gave your one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so, Lord, for anyone here today who has never surrendered their life to you, God, I pr may they pray this prayer with me. God, I am a sinner. I know that I have done things wrong that I can never make up for. I can never pay on my own. It's not about what I can do. It's about what Jesus has done for me on the cross. God, forgive me of my sins and put the punishment of my sins on Jesus and not on me. And Lord, out of gratitude for all you've done, I just help me to follow you. God, I, I give my life to you. I surrender. I want you to be my leader, my Lord, from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, tell someone about it. That's what those carnations celebrate. That's surrendering your whole life to God, asking Jesus to be your forgiver and leader. And tell me, tell anyone with a name tag, tell someone that is the most important decision you can make. And it's one we need to share with others. Let's all stand together. We're gonna sing about what we believe. And one of the things it says, I believe not in the powers of man. It's not I believe in the United States of America. It's not an I believe. It's I believe in God the Father. I believe in the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what unites us.